This episode of Australian Gothic is recorded on the unceded lands of the Ngunnawal, Ngambri and Kwandamooka people. Hello and welcome to Australian Gothic. It's a hot sunny day and you are standing in a desert, which is also somehow next to a rainforest, which is also somehow next to a beach. A man emerges from the rainforest wearing a cork hat and clutching a giant machete. It's Lucas. Hi, Lucas. Oh, bloody hell. How are you doing, Jules? It's really hot today. Really flies, eh? Ah, yeah. Fucking shocking, eh? Yeah, oath. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Oh, God. Over in the desert, the heat forms a mirage above the sand, and you see something bounding up and down. As it gets closer, you realise it's a person riding on the back of a large kangaroo. They are also wearing a cork hat and clutching a giant machete. It's me, Jules. Hey, cunts. Hey, Jules, this is bloody hot today. This is the weather. Uh, oh, yeah, we get in the beach. Oh, we drink a beer over a shoe or some shit. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Chewies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today, Lucas? Um, We are going to talk about... Okay, I had a scenario in mind, but I abandoned it. In in my head, the scenario was going to be like uh, that horror movie, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, where like we were... Oh, Jesus. Yeah, then I I thought of it last night because, uh, yeah, if you can't tell, I sound a little bit sick. Uh, I'm recovering from a cold. Yeah, I when I was up uh, coughing my guts out, I thought of the movie Autopsy of Jane Doe and scared myself. Because <laughs> we are talking about the concept of a uh, hashtag crikey core, an aesthetic that emerged out of a Tumblr post that kind of destroyed every Australian's brain for a couple of weeks there. And, and in my head, I was kind of pessimistic. I always assumed it was going to die down. And, and sadly, I was horrified to see that no, we were committed to making this episode. Uh, Jules and I appeared on the radio to discuss <laughs> Crikey Core, which was like very fun, uh, but also a little weird. Uh, and I was a pessimist and assumed that it was going to die down. And it so- sort of has, kind of. And so in my scenario, we were going to be doing an, doing an autopsy of it. And then maybe it like springs to life. Unfortunately, it lives. Yeah, unfortunately, it it lives in kind of a weird, horrifying, you know, revenant way. Uh, so yeah, today's episode is on uh, the concept of Crikey Core, what it is exactly, how it has kind of destroyed everyone's brains, and how everyone else is wrong, and we are the true scholars of Crikey Core. Yeah, we're the arbiters. Yes, yes, we are the one true, every other piece of content is wrong, including ABC Melbourne Radio, uh, apologies Lisa and Rowena, uh, but we are <laughs> we are the true scholars. Jules, what's Crikey Core? What the fuck is this shit? Okay, so uh, in, in my head, it is an exaggerated, romanticised version of Australian culture, gleaned primarily through, I want to say Australian media, but... Yeah, but but media about Australia seen specifically through an American viewpoint. Obviously, other countries can also observe us and and take on ideas of Crikey Core, but I think that that Crikey Core in its in its purest form is is not just viewed by American Americans, but also the content is in fact created specifically for an overseas 
largely American audience. Yeah, and it's uh, the weirdest thing of all is that it's kind of an exoticized, not to completely redo like our our first couple of statements for the the radio show. Hmm. It is a joke. It was uh, created by the Tumblr user Magical Nurse Komugi in a post where they expressed an appreciation for uh, fairy bread and pass the parcel. The post is accompanied by this very, very pretty, very bright, pastel shot of fairy bread in their like next post or previous post. I don't know how Tumblr posts work. It's the one on, on top of this post. Um, they express how silly it is for someone from a Western country to, ex- to exoticize another Western country the way a weeaboo might. Yeah, which is a, a Western person exotifying Japanese culture. Which they have only experienced through media. Like, they've never experienced never experienced it firsthand, usually. Uh, but they didn't grow up in that culture. They've only really absorbed it through, like, anime, games, manga, stuff like that. Yeah, they, they may not have actually ever really met a person from that culture, either. It's very secondhand. And that Tumblr post was specifically referring to Bluey. Which is, and I do, I do want to go into Bluey a little bit because I, I'm quite interested in the overseas, particularly American response to Bluey. Now that it's, um, I think it's up on Disney. Yeah, it airs on Disney Plus. Um, I'm still shocked every now and then when I hear about like an American podcaster talking about like, oh, my kids watching Bluey, and I'm just like, oh shit, that's that's the show we make. Yeah, like that's for us. Yeah, and I think that that's that's sort of like I want to talk a little bit about Crikey Core first because I do want later in the episode to talk about what I consider post Crikey Core. <laughs> um, I know, I know. Fuck. I've got a I've got a whole cultural theory around this now. Um, Wonderful. I've not shut up about this for about two weeks. Sorry to everyone I know. Just just a just another thing as well. Quick sidebar, like. One of the, when this started to sort of like pop off and, you know, we made like joke posts about it. And then sadly we were kind of weaved into the narrative of Crikey Core because people would Google it and our post, you know, the Australian Gothic post would come up. Uh, Jules would come up because your username for a little while was a uh, <laughs> Crikey Core scholar. It might still yeah, be. Yeah, it, it still is. I'm going to change it after this episode. <laughs> but, uh. But yeah, so we were we were sadly like while making fun of it, we were also kind of rolled into it. Um, but yeah, I've sadly watched the searches escalate until eventually, like the night before we appeared on ABC Radio Melbourne, the project uh, got their disgusting hands on it and did did a segment on Crikey Core, which made me want to die. Oh, but in some ways, like feeling cringe about this is like cultural cringe is true crikey core oh you're right yes you know so (laughs) like i feel like that's that's important i think actually i think it would be hard to explain the full concept of the cultural cringe to non-australians but um let's let's consider this episode a first draft of our eventual culture cringe episode which we're gonna do at some point in the next couple of months i promise because uh it's it permeates everything Mm mm-hmm yeah so let's let's have a chat about like what I consider to be some of the the formative pieces in the Crikey Core canon. Yeah. Uh, so this is specifically uh, media about Australian uh, Australia, largely produced by and or for an American audience. And I think that obviously the the really original one, the the most important one, is Crocodile Dundee. Yep. Yep. 
you can tell that that's that's true crikey core quite apart from the fact that it is not close to the the australian experience for most people there are there's terminology in it that is specifically not australian the most the most famous bit is chuck a shrimp on the barbie because uh we don't call them shrimp they're prawns just to be clear that that was a tourism ad was it was that not in i haven't seen crocodile dandy in like a million years but it had it had what's it in it had Uh, paul hogan old mate yeah (laughs) yeah uh paul hogan so that came after crocodile dundee because like that movie came out it blew up it created the first kangaboos which is a term you coined i believe (laughs) uh it wasn't it wasn't that was also further down the um the crikey core post on tumblr that's not me oh okay okay good. yeah but kangaboos is it's such a good word for it um i was struggling to find a word for it and it's just like jesus christ that's perfect yeah crocodile dundee came out it blew up and so it created this interest in Australia and they paid Paul Hogan to be like a spokesperson. Yeah. But yeah, also the image of Australia presented in Crocodile Dundee is this. Yeah, it's not at all what Australia is like. It's, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't go to like the north of Australia very much. Is, it, is that what it's like there? Uh, not really, but like, not unless you go out west, like really far out west. But yeah, at this point, Mad Max and then Crocodile Dundee were... The two main sort of cultural references for Australia, and that was it is all one big, very arid frontier town. Mm, yeah. And it wasn't really until I think the Sydney Olympics that people were like, oh, it's a no, actually, the most bulk of Australians live in like coastal towns and is decently and metropolitan. And cities, yeah. Like, like it's a heavily urbanized country. Yeah. And I think yeah. even even Bluey is kind of shocking to some Americans that they're just like, oh wait, there are buildings, and you know, <laughs> the the grandparents live in high rise, and <laughs> yeah. So America has this idea of Australia as it is a deaf world where everyone is like constantly fighting like super predators. <laughs> yeah, and and that was definitely, um, I guess, expanded on by the TV show The Crocodile Hunter, which was Steve Irwin, like, wildlife show, in which, I mean, he didn't really hunt crocodiles, did he? He kind of hugged them. Yeah, yeah. The crocodile hugger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, look, my understanding with uh, crocodiles is, like, the muscles they use to bite down are incredibly powerful and, you know, can can take your arm off, can, like, kill you in one bite. Um, The muscles they use to open their mouth are not as strong, so that... So you can stop a saltwater crocodile from, like, getting their mouth open by just, like, hugging them. Yeah, you can put, like, a rubber band around it. Yeah, yeah, and that is, like, when they transport them, it's like, you know, you gotta, you got to wrap up their mouth. So, mm. so yeah, that is, yeah, there would have absolutely been a lot of hugging. It seemed like crocodiles were a special focus for Irwin, but, yeah, like, I... That was the funny thing with uh, Crocodile Hunter is that it blew up in the US first. And then I think in, in Queensland, because, like, I live about an hour from Australia Zoo... Like, they were, they were present, and people, like, liked going and watching Crocodile Hunter live shows, but they weren't a big deal until they blew up in America, and that was just like, oh, shit, Steve Irwin is a, is a national icon. Mm. Again, it's sort of like some of the ideas of Australian geography that we talked about in the, in the Christmas song episode, totally ignoring urban and suburban areas, which is what the, major- the very vast majority of people live in very much for yeah like you said a very kind of wild frontier natural 
environment. There is this thing within Australian culture where we like to imagine ourselves as these like rugged rural types, even though like the majority of us and the majority of people listening to this are not remote living at all. We're urban and suburban creatures, largely. I think the other thing about like like Craggy Core that I really wanted to mention is that the view it presents of Australia and Australian culture outside the kind of the geography is a really narrow Anglo-Celtic concept of Australian culture. Like it's very white. Yes. And um, occasionally in Crikey Core, First Nations people are present, but they're kind of there in a very exotified and othered way. It's not great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you've said, it's very white and certainly through like some of the articles that I've seen, it seems like the two things that they keep coming back to are Bluey and the Irwin family. Yeah. Also, one thing that kept coming up in the interview was Shoeys. Yeah, let's get it out of the way. Let's get this disgustingness out of the way. Okay. Now, chiefly, um, Lisa, who ran the interview, was wonderful. I love how she qualified what core was as a Tumblr aesthetic. Mm. Lisa clarified that core is a Tumblr phenomenon where a person becomes really interested in a particular topic or aesthetic or vibe, as which we may discuss a little mm-hmm. bit later. And it doesn't necessarily require a group. Like a person could just be like, I really, I'm really into this. This is something core. Uh, it doesn't require a group to exist, but a group may spring up and a something core can include like clothing, visuals, music, food, activities. So for Crikey Core, basically it was like Bluey, the Owen family, Pass the Parcel, Fairy Bread, very Instagrammy looking suburbia, I think to an extent, uh, because that's kind of what you get in Bluey. Mm. One thing that kept coming up within the show is Shoeys, and I think the key reason Shoeys kept coming up is because uh, the musician Harry Styles is on tour in Australia currently, and he is a big deal and he is trending a lot. And shoeys are basically, I didn't want to say this in the interview because like Lisa kept bringing up shoeys and I didn't want to be like combative or anything like that. Mm. But I was just like, shoeys are a music industry meme, chiefly like a, a touring music meme. I think as you've pointed out, um, we kind of torture visiting international musicians by getting them to do a shoey. Yeah, I, I believe also that there's parts of the Australian military where doing a shoey is a hazing ritual. <laughs> it's definitely a form of bullying. It's a form of like, you have to do this disgusting, unpleasant activity in order to be to, to be granted access and, and inclusion. Very much, yeah. Like Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and do you, should we should we explain what a shoey is? Yes, yes. Would you like oh, to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh, this is so disgusting. The, a shoey is where you take off one of your shoes that you have been wearing. This is key to the shoey. Fill it with some kind of alcohol, usually beer, and then drink from it. Um, now, now, it occurred to me, every time I see someone do a shoey, it's just like, okay, you only have to drink a little bit of it because some of it is just going to like fall out of the shoe or soak into the fabric yeah. or something like that. Like, mo- some shoes are not designed for shoeys. So it's like, okay, you're just getting like a sip of yucky beer. But like, Lucas, yeah, I would have to say that no shoes are designed for shoeys. Very much. Very <laughs> And, and like you've said, and there's evidence that, you know, presented in the broadcast that shoeys have happened as early as the 70s or 1993. 
I, I do think uh, the movie Beer Fest by Broken Lizard probably played a part. There's a key element of that movie, which is about beer drinking contests where you have to drink from a big glass boot. That's fine. It's glass. That's okay. It hasn't been on someone's foot. Yeah, but... You're not, you're not putting foot sweat in your mouth. Yeah, exactly. But it kind of shows that, like, the idea of, like, show, demonstrating irreverence by drinking out of footwear might not necessarily be a uniquely Australian thing, but it's just kind, kind of become a meme within, like, touring music circles. Yeah. And, I mean, also, like, just to get really dark for a second... Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, bringing in the spirit of Josie. Um, famed defamation case bringer Ben Robert Smith... Okay. ...is alleged to have, or has has been linked to the idea of drinking beer from a prosthetic leg that had been stolen from either an enemy combatant or a civilian in Afghanistan, which is, I believe, considered to be, allegedly, don't sue us, a, a, a war crime. Um, also, just... just fucking grim my god oh yes so grim so fuck (laughs) yeah but that is is believe i i think that's one of the the things that has been alleged i i given given what i know about the average aj or army jerk i'm not sure if Mm. uh, if people overseas have that slang uh, not surprising yeah but yeah let's 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 move on from that particularly uh potentially defamatory (laughs) i don't think it is i Allegedly, it's all alleged. Allegedly, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, sh- anyway, sorry, uh, shoeys are not crikey core. No, they're, they're not, not crikey core. I would argue that the concept of lying to or bullying foreigners, particularly Americans, into doing things that are not actually Australian, is not crikey core because it is inherent to Australian culture. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was not a fan of the video of young Mister Styles doing a shoey but they also there was also a tweet about him i think when he came over in like 2013 very early or or you know very early uh one direction years yeah where he's photographed wearing um a cork hat a big hat with like lined with corks the point of which is to kind of stop flies getting in your face um that is crikey core yes it is that's definitely crikey core and, and I'm about to get on one about the, the core cats. Uh, is okay. it okay if I go on one for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, so I'm 35. I remember, uh, I don't think I've seen anyone ever wearing a core cat that wasn't some kind of performance. Um, it exists as this, like, again, because there is, there is not a lot of Australian culture that isn't terribly grim. So we kind of cling to a couple of things that are, like, a bit silly or child-friendly. And... It's it's dated as shit. I've never seen anyone wear one. We need to let it go. It looks like shit. Part of the reason we kind of don't need to have it anymore, horrifyingly, is that due to climate change, it seems like there's, like, fly populations are diminishing. Oh, no. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, shit. that's anecdotal. But um, growing, growing up in rural Australia, I've definitely seen people wear gear that, is designed to stop flies, but it's usually fringes, like fringes on your hat or like on horses. They, you know, you can put a little thing on the bridle to keep 
flies off their faces, things like that. But it's never big corks. That's, I don't know. And also, you know, most of the time wine isn't served with corks anymore. It's like, <laughs> it's a little twist top. So. And, and those twist tops were invented in Australia. Ah, were they? Yeah, yeah. Ah, we're such a nation of innovators. Yeah, yeah. We, we love to sink piss. <laughs> we do. They really caught on in the 2000s. And for a while there, there was like a lot of snobbery about like, oh, it doesn't have a cork. But it's just like, no, but this is way fucking better. I promise. Like it, it's, it's never, the cork is never going to go rotten because there's no cork. Yeah. Having a, a corked bottle of wine is so disappointing. <laughs> but no, I never considered that like, yeah, another reason why you don't see cork hats anymore is because like you can't find corks anywhere. Or it's like, unless you're a really posh motherfucker, because that's still, there is still an element of that. It's just like, oh, I'll only drink wine made in this like old annoying method that can fuck up the wine possibly um, oh my god imagine if imagine if cork hats become a like upper class signifier oh no fuck. that would be amazing like like <sighs> super wealthy bougie fuckers wearing like cork hats to the melbourne cup as a like performance of wealth jesus oh my god okay i guess you can still get well see it's like champagne i think or sparkling wine can sometimes still have corks except i think even those are kind of going away because you can get like plastic ones that you can put back on but no that's oh my god (laughs) put down the lave jewels yeah (laughs) that's fair one last piece of what i call crikey cork cannon that i forgot to mention before that i actually i actually rewatched last night is the uh, the Simpsons episode from like 1995, Bart versus Australia? Wonderful episode. Wonderful episode. You know, you know, there's that sort of meme of the Simpsons predicted everything. <laughs> there's there's a number of things in that um in that episode that are I'm I'm like actually this is really true to Australian culture, and that's particularly the um how far we are willing to go to punish children who we've decided have like been a bit too cheeky. Oh yeah. Yeah. In, in most places around Australia at the moment, the age of criminal responsibility for children is 10 years old. So children can be incarcerated at, at 10. Yeah. And where I live in Queensland, it's a, it's getting worse. And that, that obviously overwhelmingly and unfairly affects First Nations children and children from margin, other marginalised communities. Like, it's not... Wealthy white kids usually don't get locked up. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, no, Australia would definitely spend a lot of money to punish a child. That's completely true. <laughs> uh, another thing that I really enjoyed about watching it that, like, I'd sort of forgotten about was... They've got like a nice little, they've got like a nice little kind of community service announcement about the importance of not bringing in invasive species. It's, <laughs> I almost want to know if the writers of The Simpsons knew about all of the introduced species, and particularly like cane toads, because the frog that Bart, that Bart brings. Yeah, it's a, it's a bullfrog. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Bullfrog, but like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I really, like, I remember watching that episode and going and telling my mum, who hated The Simpsons. But um, but my mum worked in, like, a lot of her career, she worked in quarantine and biosecurity. Wow, okay. And so, like, I grew up having a sort of an overwhelming knowledge of invasive species, like, much more than the average child. 
and and I was like, Mom, Mom, come check this out. And she was like, oh, yeah, good, okay. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, and I, and I think also maybe like another thing that that possibly could have happened is that Australia that that one of the writers of The Simpsons had come to Australia and been surprised by our heavy heavy customs laws yeah. around biosecurity, which which are some of the the strictest in the whole world. It is kind of funny because uh, there's this perception even in the the really awful the project segment they made a point mm. about like oh what do you know about Australia? It's just like oh dangerous animals. Like there's this perception that we are a deaf world because we have like, you know, a bunch of snakes and a lot of Americans talking about sharks, but it's just like, man, people get taken by sharks in Florida and in parts of America all the time. I think they even have more, but, uh, but no, like it's, it's quite a delicate ecosystem here and it does not take much to like fuck us up. Another recent one is like, uh, fire ants from, from America. Yeah. Like within the last 20 years have had like a devastating effect. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, like cane tones, obviously, but like rabbits and foxes as well, like mm. both of which were introduced early in Australian um, colonization with European settlement uh, as they brought the rabbits in so that wealthy white people would have something to hunt. <laughs> and then they tried to bring the foxes in to try and get rid of the rabbits. And now both of them are hugely invasive species that fuck everything up. Yeah. Including, ironically cause huge problems for farmers yeah 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 very much <laughs> partly because you know we had we had almost no natural predators in the country like just none yeah very much i i also i also find you know the american like oh everything will kill you thing very intriguing for a country that has bears bears and mountain lions mountain lions and like even those giant moose which you know they're not they're not predator animals but they'll fuck you up yeah yeah, like, we don't have any megafauna, which is probably for the best, really. But, like, I, I do like that the kind of things we have are, like, a small car can be destroyed by hitting a wombat. Yeah. You know, like, like sort of the, the ways in which our our mammals can hurt you. Although, like, I mean, a kangaroo could gut you if yeah. you made it mad. Yeah, that too. And also koalas have really fucking sharp claws. And they've all got chlamydia. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any wild animal... You shouldn't be yeah. going around, like, handling wild animals, but... Yeah, no, just don't. But, uh, but no, in Australia, yeah, there are, like, seemingly the innocent animals, but, yeah, like, big red desert kangaroos can, like, f wreck your shit. But, like, we have dingoes, and that's about yeah. it. They're kind of, like, the main mainland predatory animal. There's no... There's no... Well, I don't know. There are probably some introduced, like, big cats or something like that. Yeah, there's the, there's the, the Blue Mountains panther. <laughs> um... <laughs> But, uh, I remember the yeah cryptids. But yeah, we don't we don't have mountain lions and bears and shit like that. Like it's a, I don't know, there's snakes. Yeah. Yeah, there's not not a lot of those animals. So yeah, it's kind of unusual for Americans to be like, oh, let's forget about all the all the shit in our remote areas that can utterly wreck us. Oh, wait, I did just remember we've got saltwater crocodiles. Oh, that that too. But yeah, in but... the north, that that's like again in in the north. But but like like they're pretty real. They're pretty. Is it okay? I believe they also go on the beaches in some pl places in. Northern Australia? Very much. In parts of the Northern Territory, um, I, for a uni assignment, we went to a remote community in Arnhem Land and we were told, like, yeah, stay stay the hell away from this part of the beach because there was, like, a dead dog there a couple of days ago. A crocodile came out and got it. So there's there's croc activity oh. happening in this beach. Oh, I so don't like that. No, no. And this was a, this was a very remote, like community that was kind of struggling we were also like you know hey don't go here because there are like feral dogs etc like 
you know, we, us, us little dainty film school <laughs> snowflakes. Princes. Yeah, prin- yeah. Princelings were just like, you know, you know, it was, it was a very cool trip, but it was also just like, I want to go home at one point. Like we were, we were probably not hard enough. <laughs> Baby needs his feather bed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, sorry, the Simpsons episode, it's funny because a friend of the show, Jez Fletcher, tweeted at us that Crikey Core is the fact that all my American friends love the Australian episode of the Simpsons and all the Aussies hate it. I have to respectfully disagree. Whilst I did not like the Simpsons episode as a kid because it filled me with a deep sense of culture cringe, it was like the Australian jingle bells. It was just like, oh, fuck, this is all my culture is. Fuck, I I can never escape this. But now that I'm an adult, it's just like, no, 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 this is funny as hell and this is kind of perfect. Yep. Um, it, it was really funny. It was also funny watching it last night because, like, I live in Canberra now. It's so not Canberra. <laughs> you know, like, it's all palm trees and, like, desert shit. <laughs> I, do, I do like that little bit where... Uh, the the father of the child who Bart calls is like I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to my local um, representative and he like goes out to the fence and yells at his neighbour who's a pig farmer because that is actually what it's like in some areas of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> you know there are a lot of farmers who become um like in rural areas who are who who become like members of parliament. That was not, but the next bit where they just go over and yell at like the prime minister who's um who's just like floating in a dam is um maybe a little more like our our prime ministers do tend to be very very bougie inner city types. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it was also kind of amazing seeing that seeing that that clip seeing that bit of the episode not in the meme that just says, have a sook cunt. Uh, created by a beloved friend of the show, Mark. I, I Oh, se- yeah. I sent it to someone the other day. I sent it to Scott Adams. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited for proper Crikey Core to take off as, as a whole movement because I'm really excited about Americans trying to get their minds around saying cunt casually. <laughs> Yep. Because like they always make they always make the T really hard. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. That's how you know it's that's how you know it's the angry one, not the friendly one. Look at doing this podcast has been kind of bad for me using it because I still know a lot of people who really don't like calling things yeah. cunt, even though it is a yeah. useful and powerful word. Mm. Sometimes it is appropriate to call someone a cunt. Yeah, in a friendly way. Uh we should have a whole episode about that. Um, <laughs> just showing up on the list on someone's Spotify, like now playing cunt. Um, well, so I personally think that there's other ways of kind of pronouncing and spelling it when you're not using it in an offensive term. And that's in the singular, it's it's sort of pronounced C-U-N-D-T. Oh, yeah. You know, like the, the, the T is sort of swallowed a bit. Yeah, good point. And in the in the plural, it's C U N C E. How you cunts going? Yeah. Cunts. Yeah. Like it's it's softer. It's linguistically there's a difference. Okay, good. Thank you for clarifying yeah. this. I will, <laughs> I will be very careful with how I apply it. Yeah. Um, now we're gonna have to make this an explicit episode. Sorry. Um, oh come on, they're all explicit. They I are. I just I just realized that in advance, but um. The Simpsons episode, yeah. I remember a friend saying that, like, you know, we're probably the only country that likes our Simpsons episode. The Japanese hate their episode. The British hate their episode. Every other country that's had a Simpsons episode, like, doesn't like their episode. But the Scottish love groundskeeper Willie 
and Australians <laughs> like the Australian episode. I think it's just, it's so silly. And I love the concept of the boot. We should have <laughs> yeah. that. I, I know so many friends who own that flag. <laughs> Mr. Simpson, shush. Disparaging the boot is a bootable offence. It's one of their <laughs> proudest traditions. When I was watching it last night, something occur- that occurred to me is that, like, in, in that gift shop, Lisa asked to buy a didgeridoo. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, like, how the Lisa Simpson character has evolved and how upset she would be oh. to learn that she'd actually, you know, she'd done a, a cultural insensitivity because... <laughs> um, I believe that didgeridoos are reserved for, for men to use culturally. I believe that's a thing. Okay. My understanding is that white people playing didgeridoos is always just a little bit cringe unless you are someone who has been kind of authorised to do so. Yeah, yeah. You are within a community and, you know, elders within that community have, like, presented you with, like, the right to do it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Xavier Rudd is cancelled. No. Yeah, no, it does say, um, traditionally only men play the didgeridoo and sing during ceremonial occasions. Playing by women is sometimes discouraged by Aboriginal communities and elders. And I sort of think that's a, um, that's definitely not a thing for white people to attempt to change. No, no. No. Um, but either way, Lisa Simpson cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess... um. You know, going back to broader Crikey Core, as I said in the episode, there are two understandings of Crikey Core. There is the correct mm. one that it is Americans exoticizing Australian culture. Mm. And then there's Australians either using it to make fun of facets of Australian culture, all of the cultural signifiers that are kind of dated and that this podcast, I think, is trying to navigate away from. Yeah, and I think, like, I think actually Bluey plays into that a bit because even though it is very, very made for Australian audiences, it does kind of present a sort of nostalgic, like, 80s and 90s childhood, which I think is to sort of appeal to Gen X and millennial parents who are watching it with their kids. Oh, my God, absolutely. When I first heard about Bluey, it was when I was at a work party, my wife was there, my wife was pregnant with our first kid, and my boss's husband, who was like, my boss at the time and her husband were both like old rockers, like went to Big Day mm. Out in the 90s, yeah. you know, like Gen X, very much Gen Xers. Um, yeah. And he was a very, he was a very distinct type of Australian man who was very softly spoken. I absolutely can picture what you mean. Very hard to get to come out of his shell. Yeah. And the thing that got him chatting is, you know, I sort of mentioned seeing bluey shit around the place. You know, was not watching it, yeah. was not aware of it at that stage because I did not have children. And he, his eyes lit up and he was just like, oh my God, Dave McCormack is the voice of Bluey's dad. He is a, an Australian rock performer, fronts a band called Custard number, and another one called The Titanics. And it ended up being like a really key part of the success of the show because like you said, like Gen X's and older millennials are just like, oh shit, that's, that's the band who did Girls Like That. <laughs> I, and I think there's sort of like, like an interesting split between Bluey parents, which are... There's ones who are like, hey, the main guy from Custard is the voice on Bluey. And others who are like, oh, the dad from Bluey is in a band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember showing my wife the song Girls Like That, like on Father's Day. And she was just like, oh my God, that's so fucking weird hearing the dad from Bluey singing very 90s Australian rock. I just found out they're supporting Regurgitator on a, on a tour. Oh, that sounds sick. 
Regurgitate is going to play all of Unit. Yes. And I'm so excited. Like, Unit came out when I was in year 10. I love it. And I'm, like, going to go. And Custard's supporting them and plus a bunch of other bands. And I was talking to my, my husband being like, I-, I hope there's not too many Bluey parents there, you know? like Or, or parents who were like, I'm here because this is the dad from Bluey. I'm like, no, I will gatekeep this. This is not for you. Um, also, I mean, Gurja playing unit, and I don't think if you're bringing your kids to it, I don't think they should be exposed to World of Sleaze. Um, I, I became aware of Regurgitator weirdly young, like when I was like in mm. year four or so. Yeah, because they were huge. Yeah, they were huge, and their drummer went to my primary school. So like uh. my, my music teacher was just like, yeah, here's a photo of the drummer from Regurgitator. Like, <laughs> we kind of knew all along that he was, like, quite a gifted musician. And, and because my music teacher was kind of cool, it's just like, okay, you can listen to Black Bugs. I'm not going <laughs> to play you anything else. Yeah, that's fair. That's reasonable. <laughs> it's but, not for kids. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But yeah. Going, going back to Bluey, though, you're right. Because I guess the parents were kids in the 80s, there is an episode of Bluey that takes place in the dad's childhood and has a lot of like 80s Australian imagery, you know, caravan parks, beaches, uh, the mum having like very 80s hair and glasses. Yeah. So the grandma having very 80s hair and glasses, which I was just like, lol, that was my mum, shit. Yeah, I know, mine too. There is a lot of that reference to growing up in the 80s in, in the back of Bluey, including in my most hated episode, the Pass the Parcel episode. Really? Yeah, Pass the Parcel is the one that's weirdly reactionary. It's like there shouldn't be a prize in every layer because that's making kids weak. I remember that being discourse when I was a kid. And then it comes around to like, no, 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 it is good that like kids get disappointed and there's only one prize. I don't know. It's that. I think it's more fun if everybody gets it. Yes, yes. I've been to like adult parties, not like adult parties, but like <laughs> parties with grown-ups that have passed the parcel where there's like a fun thing in every layer and then a really big thing in the center. Yeah. And it rules. It rules. I got I got one of my most amazing makeup brushes from a pass the parcel. Um, yeah. And I love it. Yeah, like I think I think pass the parcel is fun. I think fairy bread is fun. Yes. I had I had fairy bread at both my birthday parties last year. Um <laughs> But yeah, both? like the first one, huh? Both birthday parties? Yeah, I had I had two birthday parties. I had a big like I turned 40. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Yeah, so it was like it was a decade one and I had um I had a big party at my parents' place with like all my family and that was like my really kid-friendly birthday party. So like all my friends who have kids came up for that and there were a lot of kids so I was like I'm going to make fairy bread for the kids. And then um, I had I had my big queer birthday party down in Canberra like a week later, which was the 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 no kids. Gotcha. Party. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 The the family one, the the friend one. I get doing that. I mean, yeah, like yeah, there yeah. were friends at the family one, but it was more like the child friendly one, and the the more kind of the raucous, queer yeah. one. And and I had I I did fairy bread for that one as well because I was like, you know what. Everybody's gonna, everyone here is gonna love fairy bread, and they did. Um, yes, yes. For the fairies, but like it is, it is really fun, and like in some of those, in the deep dive of that Tumblr post about fairy bread, it transpires that sprinkles, like rainbow sprinkles, hundreds and thousands is what we call them in Australia. Hundreds and thousands are the rainbow-coloured, very small, round ones. They're not hundreds and thousands if they're just another form of sprinkle. Okay. Yeah, but. Apparently in America they don't taste good. I, I get that because I know 
a lot of their chocolate is just kind of sugary corn syrupy kind of stuff. I know a reason why like Tim Tams are so popular over there is that Australian chocolate is just perceived as better. We've got different like rules about how much of each ingredient has to be present in something for it to be named a particular thing. We've got like higher food standards thing, but also um, we have a sugarcane industry, which is where most of our sweetener comes from. And America has corn syrup, which is a very different kind of sweetener. But yeah, it sort of made sense because there are a whole lot of Americans going, rainbow sprinkles on bread looks disgusting. That would taste so weird. And I'm like, it's not, it's, it's quite delicious, but I guess, yeah, they, they have, their ones taste different. I don't know if they're sweet or not, but that was quite interesting to learn that they were like, why would you like this? And everyone in Australia is like, well, why wouldn't you? Look, I'm not a big sweets guy, so I'm not someone who like smashes fairy bread. I know that's just me. Here's, here's one of the things I like about the idea of Crikey Core is that there, it was kind of nice to see an appreciation for something that is considered kind of inconsequential. Like children's party confectionery is not something that is considered really culturally significant. Yeah. Probably by most people in a lot of places. But it is kind of a nice thing about Australian culture. I don't think it's tied to any kind of like probo shit or atrocity. And it is a thing that we can be like, oh, we all enjoyed this. And it is something that seems to be uniquely Australian. It doesn't seem to exist anywhere else. I have the Reddit post open discussing Crikey Core. Oh God. The closest thing that anyone could come to something like fairy bread is a Dutch children's treat, which is just buttered bread with sugar on it. That doesn't sound as good. No, no. It's not pretty. No, doesn't sound great. Because the the visual of fairy bread is part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's colourful. It's it's, it's rainbow. So I did get that like a nice part of Crikey Core was being like, hey, look, we found something that as trivial as it seems, as silly as it seems, is something that we all agree looks nice and is nice and is associated with a lot of childhood memories. And like, that's, that's good. Yeah. I don't even know if they, if most of the time at a birthday party these days, they would still do fairy bread. Cause I mean, I, it depends. I think it depends on the circles that you're in, but I definitely know that there would be a lot of parents who had very strong ideas about like limiting the amount of like sugar and butter in the treats that are served. Um, whereas, you know, like, like, Kids' parties when I was a kid, except for the occasionally really, really crunchy inner-city Sydney ones that I would sometimes go to, would be, like, sugar and and chemical colouring all the way down. <laughs> like, you'd just come home feral. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, look, I don't know, I'm in two frames of mind because I'm also, like, I'm conscious that, like, my sister and I, you know, you know God bless our parents, but we ate a lot of processed food growing up, probably mm. just because it was, like, easy and so I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of that with my kids. But also, like, if it's a party, it's fine. It's fine. You can yeah. have fairy bread. You can have lollies and shit and drive me insane. Because I know you'll crash early as well. Yeah. Everyone's tired. You need to go home and nap. Um, <laughs> yeah. I Like, another thing that I really liked about, about the bluey stuff and I guess the nostalgia there, which is sort of linked to this, is the duck cake episode. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. And, like, I don't think because that's the duck cake is one of the cakes in the women's weekly birthday cake cookbook which was like fundamental to 80s and 90s childhoods yes and everybody got like i got cakes from from that cookbook everyone i know did and the duck cake was one of the more difficult ones in it but like 
to my knowledge, it had gone out of fashion. Yeah. And, you know, it's easier to buy a cake. The The kind of people who are who, who make cakes these days are probably doing much more, um, like, much more complicated modern cakes. You've, you've, you've got like, people... Oh, sorry if I can jump in for a second. You've got yeah. people like Catherine... Like, there's Instagram, there's food influencers. Yeah. Um, I say this in the nicest way possible. In Australia, we have, like, Catherine Sabbath, who is, like, a, an amazing cake stylist who, you know, when we did the Lee Bowery bonus episode and we mm. discussed the picture of Lee Bowery with kind of, like, the paint dripping yeah. down his forehead, it kind of remi- it made me think, like, oh, did Catherine Sabbath take a cue from this? Because... You know, she got quite famous for these cakes that have icing that looks a bit like Nickelodeon slime. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Very beautiful, very matte. But uh, yeah, the Women's Weekly cakes, I, I guess the beauty of them is that while some of them were difficult, a, a parent with not a lot of cooking experience could still pull this stuff off. Yeah. Um, my sister-in-law, who has two little kids, is a phenomenal baker and... Uh, after the Bluey episode, her her oldest, who was, I think, about to turn three at the time, insisted on the duck cake. Yes. And she was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to do the fucking duck cake. She made, and she's like, she, again, yeah, she's an incredible baker. And she, she did a lot of trial runs for that. And she was like, it is, it, it is complicated. Wow, it is okay. like structurally difficult. Like the episode wasn't kidding. Yeah, and like I don't, I don't think she had. If if she had cooked from the Women's Weekly cookbook before, it wouldn't have been in some time. She would have been working with much more kind of modern, complicated recipes. But like I, I do like that it kind of had the the nod to this is the hardest cake <laughs> in there, and it's and it's also sort of brought like a resurgence in people using that cookbook, which is nice because like yeah, it is something like as you said, it is something that a parent could do. It's not necessarily going to look like it does in the picture, but you can have a go at it. And it th- some of them are really complicated, but they're all really fun. Yeah. You know? And it's like something, you can do that at home. It's going to be a fun cake. Obviously, it will take time and labour, which is, you know, we could go into the whole problem of unpaid, particularly women's labour, but caring labour in general, but that's another topic. Um, but, <laughs> yes. yeah. But it's, you know, you don't have to pay somebody to bake an incredibly detailed complicated cake and have a nice looking thing you can you can have a crack at it yourself and if it looks a bit if it looks a bit shit that's also part of the appeal again going back to like instagram influencers i know there was a trend you know by the time it reached me it means it's probably dead but there was like a whole american (laughs) show called like is it cake yeah the idea of the illusion cake where you purposely make a cake that is probably inedible like probably the shittiest cake ever but it looks like a shell or something like that until you until you cut it and reveal that it's probably the shittiest cake you've ever had i hate that i i find (laughs) that so distressing like there is a part like there's there's like an uncanny valley thing going on for me where my brain's like this is bad they do one that's a baby. <laughs> oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. This frighteningly uncanny baby that yeah. they then take a knife to and it's <laughs> just like, oh, this is yeah. this is Damien Hurst looking shit. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. This is my my one instance of the return van yeah. meme yeah. is is the woman's weekly cake book because um yeah. even in the even in the bluey episode, which I love because it is it is one of the few bluey episodes where we see a parent have something close to a meltdown. Mm-hmm. 
fuck me, I'm gentle parenting, but I've had to have moments where I had to pick up my three-year-old and be like, go to the TV room, go to the TV room, get out of the kitchen, please. Like, (laughs) um, you know, you see the dad like losing it and Bluey realizes like, oh, I need to, I need to help out a bit. And, you know, they, they fix the duck cake and it looks a little bit shit versus like the pretty style photos. But like, because it's for a four-year-old, the four-year-old loves it. They're just like stoked that like they've made a funny looking cake. And the other thing about the duck cake is that whilst it resembles a duck, it is made with food. The beak is like chippies and it has like a little popcorn afro. Like, yep. The, the, the icing is buttercream, not, um, not fucking fondant. Oh, fuck fondant. So it's actually, fuck fondant. Um, so it's actually (laughs) delicious. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was low-key excited to attempt making a duck cake. It is my daughter's birthday in a few weeks. We are going to get the Women's Weekly book. I've yes. been wanting to get it for ages. Amazing. I think she wants the the princess cake. You know, the one oh, where, yeah. Yeah, the Barbie. where the cake is a dress. The Barbie, yeah. yeah, yeah. Take the legs off a of Barbie make it into a dress. The toilet roll cake. <laughs> <laughs> that's See, that's another thing. Like, okay, another thing with this podcast is, mm. like, I know we seem – we can be very – hard on facets of Australian culture. There was like one guy who, you know, accused us of being like a Killjoy podcast. Yeah. And he was also a crypto dude. It was very funny. Uh, shout out to Cam, mm-hmm. CD key ass name. <laughs> You've probably been banned from Twitter. <laughs> but uh, a part of this podcast is finding facets of Australian culture that are nice, that are possibly, possibly worth saving, worth celebrating. And like whilst Women's Weekly is probably kind of a shitty rag and you know does horrible shit is is one of those magazines that does like you know here's what the royal family is up to here's a dog whistly shit about Meghan Markle why is this celebrity fat yeah, yeah. <laughs> why does Pierce Brosnan like his fat wife yeah oh my this, god this yeah very, so I say that just to like mimic the article like mm, Pierce Brosnan's yeah, yeah. wife looks lovely yeah <laughs> yeah no but like exactly that that very body shaming stuff but that book and there is a lovely i think sbs the feed episode where they talk to like one of the people who runs their test kitchen where she talks about the cakes you know i remember seeing it a few years ago and getting like really choked up and nostalgia but uh yeah that she makes the point about like you know your kid is just going to appreciate that you made something yeah like, it doesn't matter if you like nailed it or not because like you know we intended these recipes to be once again for parents who may not do a lot of cooking or may not be like Catherine Sabbath level, like able to do like perfect icing that is totally even because like that's fucking tough. <laughs> yeah, and you can like if you're if you're using the Woman's Weekly cookbook, you can even use like packet cake for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to do that. It's okay to have a bit of fun with it and just chill out. Like it doesn't have to be. I mean, I mean, obviously throwing a child's birthday party is always going to be stressful, but you know, <laughs> you can dial it back on some areas. Oh, and we are. And nice. thank you for reminding me that is an option because yeah. I will do that. Yeah, just just be chill, you know? Like, the kids are going to have fun anyway because they're kids. Sorry, I know we went to cake space, but, like, okay, I think we... Back to Cracky Core, back to Cracky Core. Back to Cracky Core. I think I'm coming around to, okay, there can be a facet of Cracky Core that is Australians doing their own Australian Gothic, like, talking about what facets of culture they encountered growing up were bad or complicated, mm. which I know I know we describe this podcast as like a discussion of Curse Australiana. I've created I coined a new one. It's you know discussing bad or complicated Australiana mm. with a little bit of like things we all like that we can single out and be like, okay, we found a good thing. Cool, 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 cool. 
Yeah, um, I, I really want to get into that. I do have like one aspect of, of a crikey core that it turns out exists in England. <gasps> really? My girlfriend is currently over in England. She got very excited about crikey core and was explaining it to her English boyfriend. That's right, polyamory. <laughs> and he told her about a brand of products called Aussie toiletries. Huh? Like it's it's focused in UK and American markets and it started in the 70s. It says, while its logo is a kangaroo and slogan is add some roo to your do, uh? the brand is not Australian owned, made, nor conducts research and development in Australia. I felt like that was a really good kind of example of pure crikey core. We got it. Yeah. Like... It is, add some rue in your do is beautiful to me. Like that's, and, and yeah, yeah. And it, it's, I don't believe it's for sale in Australia. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that was that's... like, I know, I know. I'm like, it's so cringe. It's so... We um, have a couple of listeners who are based in the UK who are Australian that we must bring on every now and then to talk about like the original toilet island itself, yeah. Australia's <laughs> yeah. relation to it. But, uh, oh, man, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and I actually think, you know, like, England obviously has its version of Crikey Core, which is Neighbours. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's that's a very suburban thing. But, like, uh, Neighbours was originally made for an Australian audience, but kind of continued to be popular because of how popular it was in the UK. And I think, Very much. Yeah, and I think Home and Away is the same. Um, those are both, like... Australian soap operas. One is set, uh, Home and Away set at the beach. Neighbours is set like in a cul-de-sac in suburban Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Episodes incoming, it's yeah. just going to be very tough because I haven't seen any of the shows. I was not into them growing up. I was for a little bit, but like 20 years ago. So I don't know, but like we should, we'll have to, we'll have to do a deep dive. We will bring someone on. We will bring a Neighbours Home and Away correspondent. <laughs> yeah, a soapies, a soaps co correspondent. Uh, another crikey core thing that we haven't mentioned is... Outback Steakhouse. Yes. Deeply crikey core because that's a chain of restaurants, like I think steakhouse restaurants that, um, yeah, obviously, uh -huh, it's in the name, that started in America and were kind of Australian themed, but not Australian in any way. Like the food, the cuisine itself is not Australian. It's a very kind of American Southern Texas kind of ribs and big steaks and um which you know like are foods that we eat but not really like a core part of australian cuisine and um they're they've also got them in australia and it's very like it's the decor in the restaurants is very um yeah it's very crocodile hunter very crocodile dundee-esque I was I was thinking about Outback Steakhouse a couple of months ago because I was I was down in Melbourne and um I was very I was lucky enough to go get to go and eat at Mabu Mabu at Big Esso in Federation Square, which is it's a entirely like indigenous run restaurant. They had this incredible um menu that was all Australian ingredients and or, or mostly heavily based Austra Australian ingredients and, and the majority of those were native but there was also like a wild boar dish which is a um, an invasive species it was incredible like the food was amazing it was really really good and there was like like there was a cocktail that had green ants in it and um <gasps> and
and like a lot of you know like lemon myrtle and yeah other other ingredients that are like and flavors that are native to australia and it is not that's not none of that is present at outback steakhouse (laughs) um like there's no attempt to kind of which is which is sad because like there are some really beautiful amazing ingredients and flavors that you can find here that you can't find anywhere else in the world yeah yeah very much my my sister and her her now husband are really into outback steakhouse and mm-hmm. for her birthday one year made us all go to outback steakhouse there was one in brisbane mm. and uh it's it's so american i know yeah. there are parts of america where salad is an entree maybe it is south texas yeah. or something like that it does it because like the salad came out and my sister was like yeah we have our salad first it's the entree and i was just like huh yeah it's 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 quite it's it's interesting like Eating at Outback Steakhouse as an Australian is because it feels like such. You're like, oh, I'm experiencing American culture. <laughs> like it is not Australian in any way. Oh god, it's when you mentioned before, mm. like how they had like steaks and ribs and things mm. like that. You reminded me of one of my favorite posts about Crikey Core, which leans into the Australians reacting to it. I saw one post on Reddit talking about Australian barbecues growing up were the cheapest sausages from Coles. Salt and pepper if you were lucky. Oh, yeah. And just for ages, I remember being, like, teased at a work function because I didn't like wings. Like, I didn't really like wings until I started dating my wife. Uh, Because growing up, going to barbecues, like, wings were always, like, sometimes even frozen things, Mm. like honey, soy, pieces of chicken that get fucking destroyed. Yeah. Just, Just bits of stinky charcoal. My dad's a really good cook and he loves a barbecue. So like we would have like marinated lamb and things. And after we moved to rural New South Wales, like I remember people coming over for barbecues and being really, really weirded out (laughs) by how the food had flavor. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and I'm not even talking about like deeply complex shit. I'm just talking about like, you know, lamb cutlets marinated in a bit of like, lemon and garlic and rosemary <laughs> yeah which is lovely but yeah like that's that's, that's pretty basic standard. yeah not to retread because Bunta yeah. Vista did a wonderful rant about it in one episode and I was just like oh my god you're right I've never really you know if I go to a family sort of activity and like it's an old boomer barbecuing it's like okay this is gonna be all right mm. yeah <laughs> just destroyed meat <laughs> and, and you know in the last 20 years that's i am i am kind of grill pilled ever so slightly mm. i have a little smoky weber i've attempted to smoke things i i enjoy doing that mm. so like so barbecue has really expanded due to seeing what you know countries in southern america and you know parts of the american south yeah do with their barbecue and and it's not just like incredibly flat steaks that are going to be like just absolutely oh turned yeah. into leather just leather yeah so that is one facet of like the australian side of crikey core that i really like yeah get making stuff better yeah we can try we can learn we can grow thinking about kind of yeah just to go back because i definitely don't have adhd <laughs> um <laughs> talking about that kind of like that sort of modern resurgence in in what i want to call post crikey core which is like an an Australian identity that is influenced by some aspects of Crikey Core, but also influenced by nostalgia for older 
like previous iterations of Australian culture. Yes. And I think that that's sort of one of the the best ways to like the best sort of examples of that is the band The Chats and their their genre of of music which is referred to as doll wave. <laughs> um, which I love as a concept. Um, yes. I once saw a band whose name I have forgotten play at a festival, and um, they descri- they had a very similar vibe, and they described their genre as RSL Nouveau. They yeah, they referred to the genre, and this was like back in like I want to say like 2018 as RSL Nouveau, and I was like, oh yes, absolutely, bands that would pay at an RSL, and um, and the chats kind of fit into that. They've got they've got a couple of of songs like like pub feed but more importantly their song smoko yeah yeah and so uh for people who don't know a smoko is a is a term for a cigarette break it is primarily used it's not used in most industries because most industries won't give you a smoke break um a cigarette break i think probably you're looking at like construction and other trades and probably hospo yeah and uh yeah it's just a break for like usually about 15 minutes probably less to go outside and have a cigarette and um it's called being on smoko and Mm. uh and it's i guess a lot of people would use it for maybe like just taking a little break a short break for anything and um a lot of industries would not allow you to do that anymore but um (laughs) there's definitely kind of like there's that nostalgia aspect of like i am using australian slang that most people who are young don't use that is primarily used by older Australians. And I think that that is key to crikey core because <laughs> nobody says crikey. Even when Steve Irvin, Irwin was saying crikey, the majority of people his age and younger would have never said crikey in their lives. Yeah, very anachronistic. Yeah, because we would just swear as, you know, that became less of a, I guess, cultural problem and less of a classist issue. Everyone swears now. So crikey is sort of a way of expressing disbelief. Uh, and surprise that older generations would use that nobody uses anymore. Um, and like Smoko, which is a really fun song, was covered by, uh, is it English band, Wet Leg? Possibly American. They're not, they're, um, they're not Australian anyway. Yeah, they're British and they're like uh, a couple of, of like English girls. And they covered Smoko when they came to Australia and did like a version Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. Like I love the wet leg cover of Smoko and you should, you should listen to it. And, and it's just amazing because it's these, these two quite polite English girls <laughs> singing about Smoko rather than the very kind of flat, overly Australian accents that, uh, the boys in the chats have. Yes. Yeah. I have heard the argument that like, uh, the chat members, chats members are all kind of private school boys, which is kind <laughs> of like a... Which is kind of a sad state of the Australian music oh. industry because they're kind yeah. they're mainly the people who mm. can afford instruments and a space to have the leisure time yeah. to rehearse. Like, you know, it's it's an expensive hobby music. But I mean, like, it is still a fun song. Like, I don't know, I've come around to it. But uh also I do a lot of filming in and around construction industries. I still hear Smoko. Yeah. But it's it's not generally referred to cigarette breaks. It is used to refer to, I guess, 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock sort of like lunch break. And, so, and it goes for about 45 minutes. Yeah. And that, that could well be a, a reusing of the term. Yeah, sort of any any break that you're taking is now smoko. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting that you talk about the, about like the chats being like private school boys because there's another band 
that I've recently gotten into, which I also think is is um, post crikey core, but a queer post crikey core. Oh yeah. Which is very interesting. Which is Melbourne band Porpoise Spit, and um, so firstly they're named after uh, the town in Muriel's wedding, oh, and yes. um, and they they have a song called Public School Lino, <laughs> and um, it's great. And they also have a song. The song that like I, I learned about them through is is called Carl Stefanovic at the Logies Drunk, <laughs> and I'm obsessed with it. Um, my housemates are so sick of hearing it. They they're very Australian. They're very like a lot of their songs talk about like particularly a working class Australian um, Melbourne experience, and also you know like they're queer um, or some number of the members of them are queer i don't know if all of them are but yeah it was it was quite interesting to see kind of very sort of australian australian post crikey core concept in in media that wasn't just a group of straight boys yeah yeah and kind of like them talking about like it's it's you know melbourne's got a better live music industry than sydney because as we've talked about before sydney got fucked up by the pokies um But there's a lot more small venues in Melbourne, which leads to much more, like little bands being able to, to like emerge. Emerge, and so there's some really, there's some really good bands that aren't all just straight boys, and yeah, and a number of them kind of have, like they they sing about Melbourne, they sing about Australia in ways that I think like was reserved for bands full of white boys for a while like your 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 hilltop hoods your um the chats things like that another version of it is a a band i do like client liaison like really skew into like images of 80s australia which uh, sorry australia yeah um you know they they are constantly you know using anset imagery oh my god yeah, they they go a little hard on it, and uh, you know I'm very careful with like '80s nostalgia because it is big with reactionaries. Yeah. Um, and also just like I don't know, sometimes it's a little bit sad. Mm. Um, but I do enjoy a lot of the sounds and aesthetic of that era. They're very synthy. But um, you know they are also kind of arguably doing post post crikey core in a way, and a lot of their visuals. Mm. I'm so excited you coined that term. I am blown away. I am yeah. so excited. Yeah, look, I, I took a lot of notes on this. I thought about it much harder than I ever <laughs> should have. No, it's good. And so, which, because, you know, one of my conclusions, like, as as you may have seen on Twitter, is that I assumed it was dead or it was starting to die down, but maybe we're just in the post crikey Core era. And I, yeah. am, I am looking forward to navigating that because... The Guardian article was like, oh, it's blowing up on TikTok. I looked on TikTok. There's nothing on TikTok. Okay. There's, it's, it's all on Tumblr mm. and Reddit and then, you know, and then and on Twitter. To an extent, it's showing me that, like, okay, a lot of journalists are on Twitter. They found Crikey Core and, you know, some of those journalists are working for the project and they decide to, like, serve it up to the project. I was almost... I was... One scenario I saw is that, like friend of the show Rowena would like message us and be like hey sorry we're not doing the story because it's like not, not blowing up anymore but unfortunately we did get to go on the radio yeah. but uh but no maybe maybe it's not quite dying down but like we are now in the post crikey core era as you have as you uh scholar jewels have come up with yeah well I definitely think that there is a there is an internal Australian identity that that leans into some of this stuff and it is sort of like reflect you know it's it's possibly 
having grown up with these true crikey core examples of Australiana reflected to you from external media, but then like synthesizing that with your own experiences, Australian identity to kind of like try and create something that is maybe a bit exaggerated about the Australian experience, but still much more real. Yeah. Like, like both, yeah, both the chats and Pauper Spit, the Australiana that they're presenting is, is a much more common experience. You know, we, a lot of people are tradies. A lot of people mm-hmm. live in North Melbourne. That's, that's real. That exists. Um, Another thing I was thinking of when you were talking about Pauper Spit mm. is something I thought about that reminded me of the Christmas episode a little bit is that you made the point that a lot of the Australiana being referenced in those Christmas songs mm. and a lot of that culture is very male-coded, yeah. like very, very masculine. And I guess uh, so are a lot of facets of Crikeycore. So mm. I'm, you know, excited to to listen to Pauper Spit, you know, to hear a more like queer perspective or, you know, where, yeah. you know, I guess, you know, a nice thing about Bluey is that Bluey is a femme char- is a female character. Yeah. You know, we're starting to, it's starting to move away from being like Australian blokey yobbo shit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that like, and obviously in Bluey, there's some like some concepts of Australian masculinity are sometimes interrogated. Yes. I think in a good way, but like the the dad in particular is often held up as like an example of soft Australian masculinity. Very much. Look, there's a whole episode in Australian masculinities. Or yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh Jesus. Yeah. And we will be we will be exploring that later yeah. this month because the I know I shouldn't say what the next episode is, but it's on larrikinism, and I'm oh yeah. I'm very excited to talk about that with yeah. you in particular, like with your experience um, <laughs> of being a larrikin, <laughs> being a being a cheeky little fella, of of, <laughs> of being aware of yeah. Australian media in kind of the late '80s, early '90s, yeah, in a way that like whilst I kind of caught during reruns, you were absolutely more cognizant than I was. I was I was born in the pit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was born there. <laughs> yeah. I'm very excited to discuss uh, that. And also, um, sadly, our bonus, well, sadly, in a good way, our bonus episode for this month is the book, The Slap, um, which I am reading, unfortunately, because ugh, it's, a, it's a very easy book to read, but an annoying book to read. <laughs> uh, so have you read that, by the way? Uh, no, I saw the TV show, but I will read the book in preparation. Oh, don't worry. You don't have to. I can spare you that. I, okay. will, I will give you a rundown of the yeah. slap. But do if you want to, but don't feel... I'm pretty sure I'll want to slap everyone in that, in it, <laughs> by the end. <laughs> um, so I'm conscious we're running a yeah. little bit long. Is there any anything else we should run down on Crikey Core before we, before we let this thing uh, go off and mutate further? One last thing, which is sadly going back to Shoeys, which is that I... I believe that if you're an Australian person, if you've got Australian citizenship and you do a shoey, your citizenship should be revoked. Yes, you become stateless. In general, yep. I am I am an anarchist and I do not believe in states or borders except for this one particular <laughs> issue. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think it should be part of the citizenship test where they offer you a shoey and if you say no... That's the correct answer. It is only something foreigners should be doing. <laughs> That's my new hill to die on. 
desperately <laughs> reaching out for that shoe and being like, no. Yeah. No. And then yeah. and then the old crusader from Indiana Jones, the last crusade, is like, you chose wisely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just there. He's yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is crikey cool now. <laughs> okay, yeah, makes sense. Look, sadly, we will probably revisit the 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 insistence on talking about shoeys in the interview. As much as I enjoyed it, uh, gave me an episode idea. We are going to talk about like memes and Australian music and Australian like live yeah. music because that is something that has really emerged in the last ten years. Mm. So so keep an eye out for that one. Jules, uh, I I got nothing else. But uh, yeah, me neither. Thank you so much for discussing this with me. I'm. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It has been a fascinating, weird, reactive thing to like just pop up into our lives and be a part of. Yeah, it, it's been great. It was fun going on the radio. It was the morning out of, after Mardi Gras, so I was so hungover, which is cracking <laughs> core in itself. <laughs> I I had to go to my Nana's 95th birthday <laughs> immediately afterwards, so I had like <laughs> mentally bracing myself for all the family shit. Yeah, oh, God. So, so we were both at our best. Yes, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> thank you to ABC Radio Melbourne for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening. See you around, everyone. Bye. Bye.